you want to turn with me, we're going to start in, in Ruth 2, uh, or verse 23. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and the harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, whose young woman you were, whose young woman you were, with whose young woman you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash therefore and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. When, and when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the evening grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, and all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Um, just before Sam comes to speak to us, I'm just going to pray. Um, so let's pray. Um, Lord, we, we thank you that we can just gather together here again today and be uh, in your word. Uh, Lord, we thank you uh, for all that, that you have you've done for us in our lives, all the blessings that you have heaped upon us, Lord. And as we, as we think a little bit today uh, about this story of Ruth, Lord, we pray that you will just speak through Sam. As he brings us your word, Lord, help him to speak uh, with clarity and with conviction, Lord, and help us to hear uh, what you would have us hear today, Lord, and help us to apply it to the, the lives that we lead uh, and the work that we do. So we pray you're just with us now uh, and help us, Lord, as we, as we, we share together. Amen.
Well, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, great to see you. Um, so if you've got that, that um, little handout there, um, do keep that open, and we're going to be working through Ruth chapter 3. And um, we've got a fairly full kind of set of notes today that will just help you to maybe keep track of, of what we're doing. So um, I don't know if you picked this up, but the story of Ruth that we're coming to now in a, for the penultimate session has turned into a bit of a workplace romance. Um, let me introduce you to the three main characters. Uh, firstly, we've got Naomi whose name literally means lovely. But her life has not turned out to be lovely so far. It's become bitter, and she's become bitter. She says in chapter 1, The Lord has testified against me. His hand is heavy upon me. I went away to a country called Moab, full, because I had a husband and two sons, and I've come back empty. The Lord has brought me back empty, because I've left my husband and my two sons buried in Moab. And so she is bitter. But the Lord, we saw last week, has begun to restore Naomi. Um, And that's happened because her Moabite daughter-in-law, Ruth, who's come back with her from Moab, uh, just so happens to meet a man called Boaz, who's a near relative of theirs in the fields. And Boaz is what's called a redeemer. And there's a special uh, law and a special provision uh, in Israel that uh, close family members have a responsibility to look after other family members who have fallen into hard times, who are down on their luck. Uh, That's what a redeemer has to do. They they have to kind of uh, provide for these these family members who are worse for wear, and even marry uh, the the wife of of a dead cousin or a dead brother so that the name of the dead family member can carry on. That's what a redeemer does. And it just so happens that Ruth, finds herself working in the field belonging to one of these redeemers, a man called Boaz, who is a man of noble character. And so if we were to kind of translate this to today's terms, it'd be uh, like um, uh, a woman uh, comes uh, as a migrant from another country, and uh, she's got a relative who happens to be the CEO of a big firm here in Belfast, and he gets his relative, um, you know, distant relative, a job uh, working in the admin pool in in this firm. And as they kind of first meet, maybe for the interview or something like that, there's a bit of chemistry between them. There's kind of a bit of a spark. Um, And so um, we're all set for this kind of workplace romance to go on. But we heard in our reading, uh, Ruth has been working in the fields hard all summer, working away. But Boaz doesn't make any approach. The relationship doesn't sort of seem to go any further. In fact, the door sort of seems to be closing as it comes towards the end of the harvest season and the time of kind of roost employment in the fields comes to, a, comes to a close. Nothing has changed, really. Ruth has been able to provide for her mother-in-law by, by picking in the grains in the field. But there's no long-term solution here. Uh, there's no, no rest for Ruth. And so the door seems to be closing. Uh, it seems like maybe this wasn't the plan, after all, that the Lord had for, for Naomi and Ruth. And life can get like that, can't it? It can feel sometimes as though life has gone off track. If you're somebody who believes in God, you might say that uh, you think you kind of missed God's plan for your life and you've somehow slipped off the rails. Uh, Maybe if you don't believe in God, you might just say, you know, things have just gone wrong, Uh, fate is maybe against me, Uh, those kinds of things. Uh, We can feel sometimes that doors that were open end up closing. And it can be hard to know what to do. Uh, maybe you're here this lunchtime and you're a committed Christian, and you just can't really work out why the Lord has got you working all the hours of the week in this job. It just seems pointless. It seems like a waste of time. 
Why has the Lord led you to this point? Or maybe you're somebody who's got a bit of a connection to church in, in some sense, but you sort of say to yourself, you know, I've never really seen God do anything for me. It just all seems to be talk. It doesn't seem to be real. So what do you do when you're down on your luck? What do you do when it seems like you've kind of missed out the path that God has for you? Well, I think you could either knuckle down, couldn't you? Sit tight and try and make the best of it. Grin and bear it kind of thing. Or you can kind of roll the dice. You can take a risk. You can uh, uh, make a big change and see what happens. You can throw caution to the winds. And today what we're going to see is that's exactly what Naomi and Ruth do. They throw caution to the winds. But they do it in quite a specific way that we're going to see, I hope, as we go through. Uh, So I've got four points down there that kind of summarise what Naomi and Ruth do. And I think there can be lessons for us. There's things here that we can learn from how these two women behave. So I phrase them as kind of lessons for us. And we may not get through all of them, and if we don't, that's okay. But we'll, um, we'll, we'll work our way through and see how far we get. So the first one down there is lock in to God's plan for you. Have a look at verse 1, chapter 3. <clears throat> then Naomi, her daughter-in-law, said to Ruth, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he's winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. So you can see straight away, Naomi has not been put off at all by this, by this apparent closing of the door. Even though the harvest season is coming to an end, Naomi's saying to herself, right, it's time for us to, to step into action here. Um, Boaz is there now at the end of the harvest season, down on the threshing floor, ready to kind of thresh out the grain. And she comes up with this daring scheme. Verse 3, wash therefore and anoint yourself. Put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And Ruth replied, all that you say, I will do. Now this is um, both a risky scheme and a risque scheme. And we're going to think about that a little bit in a moment. But for now, just notice that just how committed these women are to, to this plan, and specifically to Boaz. As far as they're concerned, Boaz isn't just one relative among many, although they say that, don't they? He's our relative, he's one of the relatives. But as far as they're concerned, he is the relative. He is the redeemer. There's, no, there's not going to be another one for them. As far as they're concerned, they, they, they just can't see it any other way. It was too much that Ruth ended up in this field belonging to Boaz. It just so happened that Ruth was working in this field of this relative. They, they sense that this is God's hand at work in their lives. Now, when, there's no sense that they kind of had a special kind of divine revelation kind of saying, okay, you definitely know this is going to be Boaz. They, they're just working this out on the basis of what they're seeing around them. I think that's interesting then for us because we don't sort of necessarily have divine revelations happening all the time. We have to kind of operate in the world as it is. But we believe as well, if we're Christians, that God is at work in the world, that he is doing things. Um, and so although we're always going to be wanted to, to take our guidance mainly from the Bible, because that's the clearest place we can find God's, God's guidance, we, there is a sense, I think, that when things just so happen, when we have a sense that God is ordering things in, in some special way, I think there is a sense in which we can kind of say, yes, 
God does seem to be opening up doors here. He does seem to be providing for us. Because it just so happened. If we're Christians, we don't believe in coincidences as such. We believe that God is ordering things, just like he was for Ruth and Naomi. And so maybe, well, I'm sure actually that all of us have got stories to tell about how God has kind of arranged things in our lives. Things have opened up that we didn't expect. Certain situations have followed other ones, and we've suddenly found, oh, that's where, that's where God was taking us. Um, and I think in some ways we should, we should be willing to embrace that. We, we, we want to be a little bit careful about kind of overdoing it and kind of reading into every tea leaf and that kind of thing. But I think we should be open to saying to ourselves, the Lord has brought me into this place, into this workplace, into this situation. He's put these colleagues alongside me. He's, he's arranged these opportunities. And we ought to be willing to, to sort of be tenacious about that in a way, to be able to stick with it, to sort of say, okay, the Lord, Lord, you brought me here. You've opened up these situations. And then not to get too knocked off course too easily. If, if it feels like doors are closing, sometimes we actually need to say, well, Lord, I think you brought me here. I think you've done this. I'm going to cling on. I'm going to lock in to your plan for me. Well, of course, that's easy enough to say in theory, but what about when life is really hurting? What about when the plan seems to have gone haywire? What do you do then? Well, sometimes I think it is right to throw caution to the winds, and this is our second point, stake everything on the Redeemer. So verse 6, let's pick up the story. So Ruth went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. So this, this really is a risky plan and a risque plan. Why would a woman be on the threshing floor where all the men are threshing out the grain at night time? Uh, why would a Moabite woman... Uh, which if you were here for a couple of weeks ago, you'll know they had a very bad reputation, reputation for leading Israelite men, Israelite men astray. Why would a Moabite woman be loitering around on the edges of the threshing floor at night? So again, let's translate this into uh, our context. This is like the CEO has gone away on a business trip now, and he's down for a drink in the hotel bar. Oh, and here sidles up his, his cousin from the admin pool coming to kind of have a chat next to him at the bar. It's got all those kinds of connotations, okay? This is a really risky thing to be doing. And some people actually take this a bit further and say, there's actually maybe some innuendos going on here. People will say the kind of the feet reference is actually maybe a coded reference for another part of the anatomy. Um, but I don't think that's the case. But I think what this, what this story is doing, you can see why people go that line. Because this, this story is kind of showing the tightrope that Ruth is walking, if you like. She really is flirting with danger. And the reason the story is telling it like this is to highlight that actually she remains pure. She remains true to, to herself, true to God. She doesn't kind of do anything she shouldn't do, but she is walking this knife edge. And that shows just how much she's risking everything on this plan. As she steps out into the night, she's throwing her reputation to the winds. People are not going to be looking very kindly on a Moabite woman down on the threshing floor. And as she lies down at Boaz's feet, she is staking everything on him. Everything on what this man will do when he wakes up. Well, why does she do that? Why does she do that? Well, have a look at verse 8. At midnight, the man was startled. 
And he turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And, he, and she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. So Ruth here, I think, is showing us what faith looks like. Um, God's provision for Ruth and Naomi comes in the form of a person, this redeemer, Boaz. They're very clear about that. This is the way that God is going to provide for them, even when their life is hurting. And Ruth clearly believes that. And so she takes action. She believes that Boaz is the redeemer, and then she acts. She rests at his feet. And that's what faith does. It believes that something is true, and then it takes action. It rests. Well, in the New Testament, we are told that Jesus is the Redeemer. He's the one that this story is uh, pointing ahead to. He's the, he's the one who, although he's the eternal Son of God, has taken our nature to himself so that he can be our close kinsman, if you like, so that he can come near to us and, uh, and help us and provide for us in our distress and in our weakness. And when he embraces us in a marriage, a kind of a union between us and him, we get to share in all the good things he has. And so you can see this story is really kind of sketching out for us this this picture of coming to the Redeemer. And I think the, the, the thing we can take away from this is if we stake everything on the Redeemer, if we're willing to kind of take this risky step of lying at the feet of the Redeemer, who is Jesus, then actually we can be confident that we're never outside of God's plans. However much life is hurting today, however much it feels like you've gone off track, however much it feels like our jobs maybe aren't what we hoped and that kind of thing, at the centre of God's purposes for us is Christ, the Redeemer. He's the one in whom all blessing is ultimately going to be found. Um, I've got this picture on the, on the handout here. This, the circle is kind of representing the whole world, okay? And although God is in charge of the whole world, it can feel to us like a very chaotic place. But we've been seeing that, that Bethlehem, Bread House, where this story is being taken, taking place, is like the place of God's provision. This is where God has promised to provide. Okay? And then right at the centre of Bread House, doesn't fit on my diagram, but you could draw a picture there, a little dot, and put an R next to it. And that is the Redeemer. At the centre of God's provision for this world, uh, for his church is the Redeemer, Christ the Lord. And Ruth is showing us what it looks like to take a risk, to have faith in him, to come and stake everything on him. And when we do that, we will always be right at the centre of God's plans for our world. Well, let's carry on with the story. Um, third thing, um, we're getting a little bit further than I thought we might, so that's good. So, Point three, um, let's see uh, what happens next um, as we look at this idea of resting at the feet. Verse 10, Boaz says, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, but there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he'll redeem you good, let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. So most of that is setting up for, for next week about this idea of other redeemers. So we'll, 
we'll let um, that be covered next week. I just want to pick up a couple of points from this. Firstly, there's a sort of a misunderstanding that it took me a while to recognise here. Um, wait, you see where, where Boaz says, um, you've made this last kindness greater than the first. Uh, you haven't gone after the young men. I was always reading that as Boaz is quite chuffed that Ruth has kind of come to lay at his feet because he's a bit old, right? Instead, she should have gone after the young men. And so she's showing kindness to him. But that's not what it's saying. Boaz is impressed with Ruth because she is actually continuing to show kindness or steadfast love to her mother-in-law. Ruth could have gone off with a young man and been perfectly happy and got married to him. But that would have left Naomi with nothing. What Ruth needs to do if she's going to provide for Naomi is marry a redeemer, marry Boaz. And if you were here for chapter 1, this is actually just a continuation of, um, of what we saw in chapter 1. Ruth is, is, um, is loyal to her mother-in-law. She, she kind of clings to her mother-in-law in this bond of love. And we saw there that that was because of her faith in the God of Israel. And so what we're seeing here is, is it's just carrying on. Ruth is continuing to, to show steadfast love to her mother-in-law. And that's displaying, actually, her trust that God will provide for her. Okay, that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is, uh, Boaz concludes this little speech by saying, lie down until morning. And then verse 14, she lay at his feet until the morning. So now you get the picture. Lucky, lovely, uh, sorry, lucky uh, Ruth, uh, she can relax. Her work is done. Boaz says, okay, I'll take over now. You rest at my feet. And do you remember, that's what Ruth has exactly not had. She's been working in the fields, trying to solve the problem herself. Working, working, working. And uh, at the start of the chapter, uh, Naomi says, uh, should I not seek rest for you? And now that's exactly what Ruth gets. She gets rest because her redeemer is going to take over. But how does she get rest? By resting. Okay? Um, so if you think about this picture of faith that we're talking about, faith does that, doesn't it? Faith says, I'm going to give up working, and I'm going to come and rest at the feet of my Redeemer. I'm going to not try to solve the problem myself. Instead, I'm going to trust that when I lie at his feet, when I do little except trust him, the Redeemer is going to take over and work on my behalf. It sounds easy in some ways, doesn't it? But it wasn't easy for Ruth. And I guess it won't be easy for you guys either. Um, Ruth's faith had a risk attached to it. It was dangerous for her to step out in faith into the night. And it's probably going to be dangerous for you guys as well to have faith in the Redeemer. It will have a certain shape in your lives. It will be noticeable to your colleagues. You're all here. You've all kind of stepped out, if you like, not into the night, but you've come out to, to a random meeting of Christians. And that that could be tricky in years to come, couldn't it? Um, maybe you're, you're already facing reputational damage in your workplace because you're a Christian and you're willing to, to live as a Christian. Maybe your faith is just simply being tested at the moment. You're, you're, you're struggling to see God really being good to you. And so you're kind of clinging on tenaciously, uh, trying to trust that God does have a plan, but it's tough. That's what faith requires at the end of the day. I was hearing about uh, a young lad who grew up in a church and he was kind of into everything and seemed to be showing signs of faith, but he received a couple of knockbacks. Uh, stuff at church just didn't work out for him the way that he was expecting. And now he's kind of 
left church altogether. He's, he's not going to church at all. He's into other stuff instead. And you kind of think, well, at that point, maybe that faith wasn't really genuine. You don't know. Hopefully it will be in time. But faith does require that tenacity to hold on, to say, no, I believe that the Redeemer is the one who is at the centre of God's plans for me. I'm going to cling on to him, even if it costs me everything. And so it's maybe worth thinking as we close, is there a sense that your faith is costing you something in the workplace? Is it dangerous or difficult for you to be a Christian? Is it, is it, is it an area where you're kind of having to, to trust that the Redeemer really will provide for you uh, as you try to live for him? Uh, we'll leave that, we'll leave that uh, final point, and I'll just um, wrap up very briefly. Where's God when it hurts? What have we seen? Well, I think ultimately the answer is God's at work everywhere. And Ruth is trying to get us to see he really is at work, behind the scenes, ordering everything. But perhaps most especially, where is God when it hurts? Well, he's there at the centre of that diagram. He's there waiting for us in Bread House. So we want to cling to him. We want to hold on to him. We want to stake everything on the Redeemer and be willing to throw caution to the winds to come and rest at his feet. So shall we pray and ask God to help us to do that? Our Father God, we want to recognise that life is not easy in this world. We want to recognise that we can experience chaos and difficulty and pain and heartache. But Father, we thank you for the reminder and the way that you're trying to show us that you are in fact at work in this world and that you have purposes that are perhaps beyond all that we can imagine at the moment. So Lord, please teach us to trust you. And especially we pray that you teach us to trust in your Redeemer and to be willing to stake everything on him. Help us as we try to do that in our workplace context, to be willing to, to suffer reputational damage, to take risks, to be willing to give up everything if it only means that we can rest at the feet of our Redeemer. And we ask, Lord, that you would provide for us now and forever through him. We pray in Jesus' name.